SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Merriam-Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster (laughs) used some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy, melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average, everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand. The only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, they sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing them around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best selling honey. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not <laughs> what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like, a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts. It's, I feel like honey is this way, where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea. And mm-hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome to SciShow Tangents. It's the Lightly Competitive Knowledge Showcase. I'm your host, Hank Green, and joining me as always this week is science expert, Sari Riley. Hello. And our resident everyman, Sam Schultz. Hello. I need to ask you two for tips on how to stay cozy during this very long Montana winter that is just beginning, because there's so much of it left, and I don't want it. Today was the first day that I remembered that it gets so cloudy here. And I just yeah. feel like complete shit for a couple months. You, were, so. you, you got really caught in. You were like, wait, this is what's supposed to happen for months. Yeah. Yeah. I forget every time. But uh, mm. just don't ever leave your house. There's one tip for you. I feel, feel like that's a I bad feel like one. The opposite. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's not. I don't know if that counts as cozy. Oh, I hate. I hate leaving my house. Oh, wow. Okay. My rule is I have to let my body see unfiltered sunlight at least once per day. Oh, I have a yard I can walk into. My yard counts yeah. as my house. Walk out as long as it's not through a window. Like you mm-hmm. actually breathe the air and the sun hits your skin, and then you're like, cool, got it, checkbox. <laughs> How long for? 
just one deep breath. One oh, like, wow. <laughs> one deep breath. <laughs> That's not yeah. very many, sir. <laughs> I su- I'm going to suck this outside in and I'm going to take it inside with me. This one uh, breath mm-hmm. of outside. Hmm. Yeah. I'm not good at staying cozy. I don't ever bundle up enough when I'm outside mm. or anything like that. I Well, I, I've got a pretty cozy coat. The other thing that I have is, I don't know, 12 like loose blankets Oh yeah. Just yeah. around a blanket. There I'm never more than ten feet away from a blanket in my house. That's probably the real secret. Mm-hmm. Is this a universal experience? Have you ever ever been sleeping over at a friend's house and they didn't have blankets enough for you? And so you had to like put a bunch of pillows and towels on you? Or is this just me? <laughs> no, I've had this experience too. <laughs> yeah. The towel. Nothing is sadder than sleeping beneath a towel that doesn't quite cover your feet yeah, if you're tall. Right. <laughs> I would rather just go blanketless than even attempt. The... It, it would be it would get so cold at night because it would be like Florida in the winter and nobody knows how to heat their homes. Oh, Sure. <laughs> and uh, so you just be like, put a towel on and like, and maybe lay a pillow across your feet. Like, mm-hmm. I don't need a pillow for my head. My feet are too cold. Yeah. This is maybe a weird question, but I think about it. Would you rather have, if you if you must, <laughs> if you have two little blankets, your top mm-hmm. half covered by blanket or bottom half covered by blanket? I oh. think top half. <gasps> oh, this is such an unpleasant question. Feet get so cold. I think bottom half. I think if I could tuck my feet into something, I'd be okay. That's me. I got to tuck my no. feet into something. Yeah. I can, my top half can be a little chilly, but my feet need to be cozy for yeah. me to fall asleep. If I wake up and my shoulders are cold, I like get visibly angry. I'm like, <laughs> what happened here? And it happens a lot. I don't know why, but it happens a lot. Every week here on Tangents, we get together to try to one up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts while also trying to stay on topic. Our panelists are playing for glory and for Hank Bucks, which I will award as we play. And at the end of the episode, one of them will be crowned the winner. Now, as always, we introduce this week's topic with the traditional science poem this week from Sari. What is a snake, guys? Kind of looks like nature made a mistake, but it tries. Moves through grass with a little shake, long-wise. Warms itself on rocks at daybreak. You know, sunrise. Of mice and birds, they can partake, mostly pint size. But some are huge and earn their king namesake, like a prize. Their venom will make you ache or worse. Surprise. Your blood clots and you don't wake. A demise. But let's back up, pump the brake, and revise. The image of the humble snake in our eyes. An ecosystem they can feed or break or catalyze. Thoughts on how evolution's not fake, and there are ties to medicine and tech, the stuff we make. It's wise to learn from them, not just take their disguise. So let's normalize curiosity about these opaque allies. Wow. Whoa. You found every single word that rhymes with snake and guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was missing one for snake, so I had to use the word snake twice. <laughs> I tried my best. <laughs> wow. What a respectful ode to the snake. Which is the topic of today's episode. Snakes. Sari, what are they? <laughs> I was trying to figure out if I knew, but I feel like I kind of do. Like I got to get, I got to guess. And I think there's mm-hmm. probably a, a pretty clear evolutionary branch that has all the snakes on it. And then there are some things that look a lot like snakes, but they're on a, the lizard branch. And yep. there are things that look a lot like snakes, but they're actually fish like eels. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, but mm-hmm. there's like snakes are a pretty clear branch of the tree that all have like a universal one snake ancestor. I don't know. I didn't look into the evolutionary uh, divergence. It's possible that there's... Would there be convergent evolution? The first snake. So, 
<laughs> it's actually kind of hard to find the first snake because snake skeletons are small and fragile. Mm-hmm. So fossilization mm-hmm. is pretty uncommon. So we can find more lizard mm-hmm. skeletons and like progression toward the snake. But yep. we probably can't find snake great, great, great grandma or anything like that. But snakes are squamates. Uh, squamata are the largest order of reptiles. They are lizard snakes and oh, okay. worm lizards, which are those fake snakes that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're all scaled reptiles. And then a suborder of that is serpentes. And Sounds that like is snakes, snakes specifically. Yeah. Yeah. So like they're all scaled reptiles. And then snakes are, are one of those uh, groups. And they... Uh, are ectothermic, so they don't generate internal heat. They need to uh, get it from their environment if they want to warm up. They are amniotes, so they like lay eggs. Um, they're vertebrates. They don't always lay eggs, though. Do they? Some of them have live birth. I know this because I once told people that either pythons or boa constrictors gave live birth, but I was wrong because it was the other one. <laughs> And yeah, and the, like the big thing about them is that they have uh, no front legs, and then some of them have a pair of like vestigial claws on the side of cloaca in place of back legs, or oh. just nothing back there. Um, but these bony thorns are called anal spurs, which oh, no. are used to grasp each other during mating. So that's all that Sari knows about snakes. Uh, they're long and skinny, and they have butt spurs. <laughs> and they. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some of them are have venom. Um, some of them inject venom with their fangs. Some of them mm-hmm. just have fangs. Some of them just have like various mouth structures. And most of them are non-venomous and either just constrict or eat. Do they all do they are in, they all like meat boys? They seem like they gotta all be meat boys. Probably. There there's probably some article out there that's like the one vegetarian snake. Mm-hmm. There are Thirty-four hundred species of snakes, but there are no herbivorous snakes. Huh? Yeah. A snake could eat a banana so easily. We need to clue, <laughs> need to clue them into this. Just be like, haven't you seen this? <laughs> it would be no it's problem. Perfect at all. for it's soft. It's snake shaped. Yeah. I want a banana right now. A snake eating a, a watermelon would be very funny. Also, yes. uh-huh. so we should tell uh-huh. them that. Uh-huh, we should and let they them might want to do it for the views. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sarah, do you know what I did while you were telling us about snakes? What? I gave $100 to the Wikimedia Foundation because it's December and it's time for our yearly support of Wikimedia, a uh, remarkable tool that is one of the only things left that's giving me hope in the internet. So... Thanks, Wikipedia, for all of the work that you do. I don't think that any of what we do would be possible, certainly not as easy, without the wonderful work that all of the Wikipedians do. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, where's the word snake come from? So snake and serpent come from the same root word, basically. The same root idea, which is to crawl or creep. And there are multiple Proto-Indo-European roots. There's snag and also serp. Uh, but I feel like snag. it's kind of like a jacket coat situation where mm. some people used snake or, or words that sounded kind of like snake. Like uh-huh. there's like a lot of Swedish and Germanic. Um, but then serpent was, words closer to serpent was more in Old French or Latin. So like 
if you wanted to be fancy, you called it a serpent. Sure. And if you wanted to be just like regular, you called it a snake. <laughs> uh-huh. And serpent used to be more popular for what you call this legless beast, limbless reptile. Oh. Um, but in more modern days, snake has taken over for serpent just that. too fancy. Doesn't you'd be you'd be laughed right out of the room if you called him a serpent nowadays. Yes, but how but how would I be laughed into or out of the room if I called them snags? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think everybody would uh, would applaud for you, <laughs> welcome you with open arms. I, yeah, I think so too. <laughs> and that means that it is now time for the quiz portion of our show. This week we're going to be playing a snake. <laughs> so snakes. They can live pretty wild lives. You probably have heard about that. And sometimes people even get to see those wild lives in action. Well, this past summer, a group of researchers teamed up to count observations of a specific event that involves snakes scouring academic journals, social media, and news sites for their analysis. So for today's Truth or Fail, I have three serpentine stories of what they were counting, but only one of them is the actual thing that they were counting. Which one is it? Were they counting, number one, the number of times that snakes have been observed getting eaten by spiders? Or was it fact number two? Were they counting the number of times that snakes have been accidentally dug up by a test rover at a Mars simulation site at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory? Or is it the third one, where the researchers counting the number of times that rattlesnakes have been found curled up inside fast food signs for warmth at night. Oh, that's scary. <laughs> They're all scary. So the, the Mars rover one isn't too scary. <laughs> no. Yeah, nobody's going to get bit there. There's, It's a rover. We're all good. So it could be the snake-eating spiders that they were counting. It could be uh, the number of snakes found by a rover, or it could be fast food coziness with a number of snakes hiding inside of a sign. Would be scary if they dug a snake up on Mars, though. Uh, I don't know about scary. <laughs> I think that'd be amazing. I'd be very, very excited. I'm not there. Yeah, There's way, scary. like, I'm way more afraid of snakes that are here than on Mars. The implications are chilling, though. Ah, oh, God. A snake eating a spider. That's illegal. The opposite way. Better. Spider eating snake. Oh, a sp- oh, snakes eat spiders all the time. Mm-hmm. Where do I have a spider eating snakes? Yeah, yeah. Spider just slurping them up like a spaghetti. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I think probably they do it like anything else where they like wrap them up and then they liquefy the, the, the thing inside of the little pouch and they oh. suck it down. I feel like there would only be a handful of spiders that could do this because of spider webs not being strong enough. Mm. Or like it needs to be one of those big bird catcher spiders that's like yeah. bird catcher because we've seen it catch birds, but it's actually yeah. like anything big. So it it's ambushing a snake instead of just trying to catch it in a web. Mm-hmm. Right. I feel like there was a famous video, like a big video going around a few months ago of a spider eating a snake. Huh. Why would you be watching it, Sam? I feel like my dad sends me every spider video that he finds <laughs> to make me extremely uncomfortable. Um, the Mars rover testing sites, I guess snakes would bury in sand. Like that makes sense. And I don't know. But would that be popping up on like social media? Would they be scouring social media to figure that out? They just have to ask the people who worked on at JPL, right? Mm-hmm. Or whoever was doing the tests. Yeah. Maybe those JPL people don't like write it down. They just tweet a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's probably it. <laughs> and then the fast food signs. That one makes the most sense to me. 
Yeah, me too. If I was in a desert, I would want to curl up somewhere warm. And what else but the glow of golden arches being beckoning me? Would you tweet about it if you saw a snake suddenly pop out of a, a Taco John sign? Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I would I would make a TikTok. I would tweet it. I would probably talk about it in a video. I would do all of the things. Yeah, and if you worked at Taco John's, you'd be like, check this out, guys. Mm-hmm. Open it up. Let all the snakes out. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm going to go with the spider-eating snakes. Sam's going with spider-eating snakes. Really? Because mm. I think I'm being tricked because there was a video about this that I saw and maybe Deboki extrapolated. But if, if I saw a video, there's more. That's, you know, it's a thing. Okay. I'm okay. still going to go with fast food signs because Sam's dad doesn't send me spider videos, so yeah. I right. simply don't know. <laughs> well, the good news for Sam is that, uh, indeed, a lot of different spiders make meals out of snakes, at least Ooh. 319 of them to be exact, what? based on a meta-analysis a published in the Journal of uh, Arachnology. Now, this is not individual oh. species. This is individuals. A third of oh. these observations came from documented uh, in journals. The rest came from news and social media sites. In total, they found that spiders have eaten snakes on every continent except Antarctica. 80% of the uh, observations were made in the U.S. and Australia, though. 80%? Is that what you said? 80%, yeah. This is more of us taking pictures and posting on social media here, probably. Um, some spiders could uh, take down snakes that were 10 to 30 times their size. Mm-hmm. The largest snake that got eaten was over a meter long. But most of the snakes were young, freshly hatched little baby snakes. And their biggest nemesis was the black widow spider, which has both very strong venom and very strong silk. Uh, And that helps when it comes to catching big prey. Um, The bigger snakes were all killed by orb weavers or tarantulas. And the most commonly eaten snakes were garter snakes and rat snakes, which uh, are just because there's a lot of them around, probably. Wrote more than Mm -hmm. their size. Now, as for the Martian snakes, th- so there's a there's a Mars yard uh, at JPL, and it is made out of like you know the southwestern rocks and stuff, and they do sometimes find snakes there, uh, but they don't. Apparently, I don't think that they've ever like dug one up. They weren't like they haven't been surprised by one. Mm-hmm. As for fast food signs, I don't have any good data on fast food signs, but I do have good data on the fact that during uh, the beginning of the pandemic, they parked a bunch of airplanes in the Mojave Desert. Because they didn't need them and they were like, let's keep them here. But the engineers had to like, you know, keep the planes healthy and running and uh, making sure that they they were operational for when things started working again. And uh, and they did quickly find that uh, around the tires specifically and the brakes of the planes, rattlesnakes would be like, this is a nice spot for me. And so they quickly had to improvise some strategies, which mostly involved banging on things with brooms. (laughs) (laughs) Very scientific. So Sam is going into the break with a 1-0 lead. Next up, it'll be the break and then the fact off. Slasher Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money, a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. I said it before, and I'll say it again. It's a subscription-based world out there. Video games, art-making programs, food delivery services, these things, they all have dang subscription services to subscribe to. And I don't want to cast aspersions? Dispersions? Aspersions. One of those. But... 
it does seem like part of the subscription uh, business model is to get you to subscribe to something and then hope that you lose track of everything you subscribe to and just keep forking out 10 bucks a month until the sun Mm -hmm. burns out. And you know what? That's actually a pretty good idea on their part, but it's not such a good idea for your wallet. Your money is like a bean. (laughs) (laughs) You want to plant it in fertile soil. You don't want people carving off pieces of your bean all the time. That bean's not going to grow if there's there's a constant drain on the bean. bean. That (laughs) is where Rocket Money comes in. With Rocket Money, you can see all your subscriptions in one place, decide what you do and don't want, and cancel things with just a tap. Rocket Money will even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money. And beyond, I mean beans, and beyond subscription canceling, (laughs) Rocket Money helps you build budgets, track your spending, and more. There's all kinds of ways to take care of those beans so they grow into a nice big bean plant. It has over 5 million users, and it helps save members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. What would you do with 720 beans? I'd buy more beans. Different kind of bean, I guess. A, a cheaper, beans, more yeah. of a cheaper type you of bean. You buy cheaper beans with your expensive beans. <laughs> yeah, until I had an infinite amount of the cheapest bean you could possibly have. <laughs> Subscription <laughs> companies hate this one simple trick because you figured out their plot. And now you can use that money for beans instead. Stop wasting <laughs> money on things you don't use and start using money on things like beans, cancel your <laughs> unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Factor, whose ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning. Stress is stressful. <laughs> I don't like it. <laughs> Life just goes and goes, and it doesn't ever stop going. There's always something else to do. And one of those things is a very important thing called eating dinner. To eat dinner, one must pick out what they want to eat and then go to the grocery store and then buy the stuff and then chop the stuff and do other things to the stuff. You have to heat the stuff and put it in water. And then afterwards, you have to take the things that you heated it in and they're gross and you have to make them clean again. Meanwhile, life is still happening that all all that's building up around you. Um, This is terrifying. I'm so, (laughs) I never want to cook again. (laughs) You're right, Factor Ad. I don't. I don't want to have this happen. This is unacceptable. Sometimes, uh, parentheses, all the time, uh, you just don't have the time or the energy for meal planning on top of everything else going on in your life. So thankfully, Factor is here to help. Factor's two-minute meals are your secret weapon come mealtime. You can get chef-crafted meals that are better for you and better tasting than takeout delivered right to your door. Ready to heat and ready to eat. No prep, no mess, no sink full of dishes, no stress. We're kicking stress out the door in 2024, and I certainly hope that's true for me. <laughs> Heck yeah, Factor. Kick my stress. Right out the door. <laughs> I'm going to get a chest freezer just for these meals. <laughs> oh, you're going to need one because they have over 35 meals to choose from. Flexible ordering options, add-ons, smoothies. Factor offers all sorts of fast, simple solutions when you're too busy to cook. Banish your stress, even if it's just for like one hour while you're eating dinner. 
Endofactormeals.com slash Tangents50 and use code Tangents50 to get 50% off. That's code Tangents50 at Factormeals.com slash Tangents50 to get 50% off. Welcome back, everybody. It's time for the Fact Off. Our panelists have brought science facts to present in an attempt to blow my mind. After they have presented their facts, I will judge which one would make a better TikTok, and then I will choose that one and probably give it some number of points that will alter the outcome of the game. Or not. Who knows? But to decide (laughs) who goes first, I have a trivia question. Are you ready? Yeah. So for animals with no limbs, snakes are pretty impressive travelers. Some tropical tree snakes can jump and fly from tree to tree by flattening their bodies down and undulating wildly through the air. But they don't always jump at takeoff. So how much farther does a snake glide after a jumping takeoff compared to a non-jumping takeoff? Hmm. And we're gonna. This is like a, not not in meters, but in like how much further in like percentage or like multiples. Oh, okay. okay. So sometimes they're just flopping off the tree, and sometimes they're boing. Yeah, correct. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hmm. How much can a snake boing? How much <laughs> could a boing snake boing? I think it can go twice as far. Twice, twice as, as far. More. Twice as far, Sari says. I think they can go one-fourth as far. It doesn't matter, Sam, because Sari got it right on the nose. What? They're good at boing in exactly, huh? Exactly, exactly <laughs> two times. Wow! Amazing. Sorry, I interrupted you. But look, <laughs> we got things to do. We got we got facts to fact. Well, congratulations, Sarah. That means you get to decide who goes first. Thank you, um, Sam. Since you're so confident, go first. Oh no! Ah. Uh, so snakes don't have a lot of ways to separate their prey into discrete, easy to swallow pieces like claws or jaws full of teeth made for ripping and chewing stuff up. So many of them famously swallow their prey whole. And for the animal being swallowed whole, that is probably unpleasant enough to begin with. Uh Since as far as I can tell, animals tend to get swallowed alive and asphyxiate inside of the snake. Sure. Which sucks. Mm -hmm. But in 2020, a team of researchers confirmed another even more sucky way that a species of snake eats its prey. The Asian kukri snake generally eats toads, big lumpy toads. Uh, And sometimes when they are eating these toads, according to video footage studied by this team, the snake will cut the toad's belly open with a specialized cutting tooth, insert its head into the still living toad, and start thrashing around in a death roll similar to an alligator's death roll. Why? So after rolling for a while, uh, the snake will start eating the toad's guts one at a time. uh, And the death roll is kind of a misnomer because it does not in fact kill the toad since the toads being eaten alive have been observed to be alive for four hours during the process of being eaten. Uh, and instead, they think that the role might be to loosen up the toad's guts ah. or to, quote, force the guts out of the toad's bodies. But the researchers aren't really sure. And that's not the only thing that they're not really sure about because um, the snakes <laughs> have also been seen eating the toads whole. Uh-huh. So it's sort of unknown why sometimes they eat the toads one organ at a time. Oh, Some... I know exactly why. Well, okay. Tell me after. <laughs> why. Tell me why. <laughs> well, why? it's because they're full and they don't want a whole toad. It's like when you go to Chipotle and you're like, I can't do that. So you open your burrito up and you sort of eat a little bit of it from the inside. Just have a little snack. Yeah. And then wrap it up and save the rest for later. Yeah. (laughs) You don't want the whole toad burrito. You just want the filling. That's a great hypothesis. There's another hypothesis that it could be to spread out the dosage of the toxins that snake gets from certain toads. Uh But they have also been seen eating 
toads that are known to be poisonous whole, so that might not be why. Uh, it's probably just that the snake knows how much it can swallow at once, and so it eats larger toads gut by gut. But the snakes have also been observed doing the cut the belly open, stick your head in, death roll maneuver to toads that they end up swallowing whole. Mm. So they might just be assholes and like doing it or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> and in 2021, they found two other species of kukri snake that feed this exact same way. So... It's just this whole family of weirdo snakes. And this can be an inadmissible little bonus fact in your final decision. But I was curious if there were other snakes that ate their food in weird ways like that. And it kind of mm-hmm. seems like there aren't. Uh, there aren't very many other snakes that eat their food one little bit at a time instead of whole. But there are a kind of snake called the crab eating water snake. And they eat crabs. And what they do is they flip the crabs upside down and eat their legs off one at a time. And they might even have uh, modified molar-like teeth to help them chew the crab legs because they have like yeah. the legs have teeth marks on them when they take them out of their stomach. It is a crab leg, so it yeah. does not seem like it would be particularly easy to get done. No. Oh boy. Oh man. Ah, oh, gee. Ah, I'm looking at one. <laughs> Are you watching him do it? I just—he's got a big old crab leg in his mouth. Oh, that guy, yeah. And then there's also video of the guys with their heads in the toads flipping them all over the place. Oh, yeah. I haven't watched that yet. But, well, Sari, you've got a challenge to overcome, though I will say, I don't know if I want to tell people about this because it is terrible. (laughs) It's kind of sad. (laughs) you got to really got to wiggle those boys around. Oh, yeah. And toads ain't never hurt anybody. They're just minding their own business. (laughs) You don't want to be making a TikTok of a snake thrashing in the background. With <laughs> no, I don't think I, I don't think I could put the video on it. I don't, oh, like no. I, you know, you could give the warning, um, but I made a miscalculation. Yeah, too well, violent. Too violent. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe series will will be. They do that except it's, it's with like puppies or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Something even horrible. No, mine is also about eating though, um, but different snake. That's kind of most talk- of what they do. Really? Yeah. It's a lot of it. <laughs> Most yeah. of the interesting stuff about them. I'm going to talk about Burmese pythons, which are fairly iconic in the snake world because they've got that tan and black snake skin pattern, and they can grow really big over five meters or 16 feet long. And they're an invasive species in the Florida Everglades because of humans being dumb. And these danger noodles can eat. Um, so they're one of the non-venomous snakes and hunt by constricting prey until it can't breathe or passes out so they can swallow it whole. And a lot of the clickbait you see involve uh, Burmese pythons swallowing ridiculously huge creatures that are about mm-hmm. the same body mass as them, like yep. deer or alligators. Mm-hmm. These massive meals require them to stretch ligaments in their jaws and skin in a kind of grotesque eating feat, and then they don't need to eat again for months. But what's even more remarkable biologically, in my opinion, is what's going on at a cellular level during these feasts and famine. For example, a malnourished python's intestine is pretty sparse, with thin, barely there cell layers and short microvilli because they don't need much surface area to absorb all that nothing in their body. Mm -hmm. But as soon as they snag a meal their metabolic rate can skyrocket up to 44 times. Within 24 hours, the intestinal cells increase in surface area, width, and mass. And in less than a week, there's as much as an 80% increase in intestinal cell count. Other organs swell too, like their liver to filter blood, their pancreas to pump out enzymes, and most weirdly to me, their heart in a process that's known as cardiac hypertrophy. 
So in a 2005 study, Python's heart muscle mass increased by about 40% within 48 hours to pump blood and oxygen and nutrients around and help get all the gastric juices flowing. And if I'm doing my math estimate correctly, uh, I've never seen a Python heart, but I think their heart goes from somewhere around the size of a grape to a strawberry, which is like big when you're, it's that small. Um. (laughs) But like a a slightly larger than average strawberry. So we're talking significant. (laughs) Um, And in a 2011 study, scientists deduced that what causes this massive organ growth spurt is really fatty blood. In fact, when they drew blood from the recently fed pythons, it was cloudy because of all the lipid molecules floating around, especially myristic, palmitic, and palmitolaic acids. Something weird is going on with this particular biological cocktail because when the researchers took this trio of fatty acids and infused it into an unfed python's blood, it stimulated heart growth the same amount as if the python fed Mm. or if they infused blood plasma from a fed python. And in most mammals, a huge jump of lipids in the blood like this would probably lead to some sort of buildup or disease. Right, yeah. these infusions even stimulated heart muscle growth in living mice. Not what? liver or skeletal muscle growth, though. What the heck? I mean, I was going to ask, should I drink the fat snake blood? <laughs> I don't think you should drink it, but you should get an I IV drip think of it. I, and then oh, your heart will okay. swell. Inject this straight uh, into your body. I got, yeah. yeah, and then I'll be, and then I'll suddenly be a sportsman. No, sportsman is a different thing. A, what is it called? An athlete. An athlete. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be a good sport. You're gonna yeah, need a lot of snake blood. <laughs> yeah, good sport. <laughs> the fact that it affects a mouse, a mouse's organs, very weird. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that's as far as they took the experiments. Um, so I think they still have a lot of questions because I still have a scared. lot of questions. They should have kept going. Scared. If this if this was a hundred <laughs> years ago, they would all be shooting up snake blood. This mouse is mm-hmm. too strong now. <laughs> yeah. And they say that this could be useful not only just like in understanding how lipids boost organ growth. And then like the snakes don't stay that way. It shrinks again, depending Mm -hmm. on what they need. Uh, But human heart muscles are like really complicated to understand. And we get conditions like hypertrophy that aren't great. Yeah. Like sometimes it is an athlete, but sometimes it's negative. And so we could learn a lot about heart muscle from the wildness of these Mm. snake hearts. That's very cool. I knew a lot of that about snake organ regrowth, but the lipids in the blood is very weird. One, because like that's something you usually don't want. Uh-huh. Uh, and two, the fact that it that you can transfer that to another snake or even to a organism that is only very distantly related to the snake. It's very cool. I was definitely going to give Sam the point until I heard that. So instead, I'm going to give you equal points, which means that Sam still comes out the winner. Oh, thanks. Mm. And that means it's time to ask the science couch where we've got a listener question for our couch of finely honed scientific minds. It's from Emily17, who asks, I know that there are a set number of recognized snake locomotion strategies. Are they each suited for different things? Or do some snakes move in silly ways just because evolution was like, why not? Uh, It's definitely not, why not? There's definitely good reasons for I can only I can only think of two, but I'm sure that there are more than two. What are the two you can think of? Sidewinding. Uh, is the weird mm-hmm. one, and then normal, um, which is how snakes move. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, sidewinding is specifically on sand, and it just helps lift their bodies up so they don't have as many contact points with the ground mm. because it's for, like, hot sand or oh. because sand is slippery. You don't want, like, your whole body to 
really mush in there. Otherwise, right. you'll slip slide down. Mm, so you can um, dig a little further in with the parts that are touching rather than everything being a little shallower. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, my understanding of the physics of sidewinding. Uh, normal in fancy terms is called lateral undulation, which makes sense because lateral is like sideways and then undulation is the yep. w- wiggly. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that is where all points along the length of the snake are in contact with the ground and okay. have like are moving back and forth. So it's used for rough ground. Um, anything where more grip or surface area is helpful and possible. So like this is, they undulate while gliding, the gliding snakes do. It's also useful for water snakes. So the ones that like travel on the surface of the water. Mm -hmm. A third type is called concertina locomotion. And so it's kind of like an accordion where half the snake moves and then the other half catches up. Mm. And so it's like the front half jumps forward and then the back half jumps up and the front half jumps forward and the back half jumps up. Weird. And so this is helpful for things like tunnels or climbing trees in a lot of ways because it's like big bursts of energy. But it's also the least efficient method of locomotion because you have to like do these big bursts of power to get going. Mm -hmm. A new one, newly discovered, is lasso climbing where a particular Uh a couple snake species just like form a circle around a pole and kind of like wiggle their way up. What the Uh, heck? They like form a loop and then climb, which is extremely weird. You can find videos of this. And so there are more snake movements to be discovered. But the one that I wanted to spend a little bit extra time on, even though it sounds boring, it's the one that scientists are generally most interested in, mm-hmm. is a rectilinear moving also known as rib walking. So this is the kind of movement, like if you see in a big python, it's moving straight forward in a line. So instead of like slithering an S is like a snake, it just kind of like oozes forward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's specialized muscles that are attached between their rib bones and the belly skin of the snake are like carefully controlled to like bloop forward in little in little goes. But so they got little feet nubbies on their bellies. Yeah, they're just walking on their little snake feet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, but it's like if instead of snake feet, they had like they were like a centipede down there because like mm-hmm. each of their ribs has like a muscle attached to it, and it just kind of like blorps forward Whoa. all equally, and they just kind of squish. Squish forward, providing traction with the ground, but also like that forward momentum that becomes really fluid and seamless. And this is the one, if you've heard about snake-inspired robots to Mm -hmm. either go into pipes or to go on other planets where we're not sure what the terrain will be or to go into wreckage to look for whatever is in there, like to help Mm -hmm. rescue missions and things like that. Mm -hmm. This is the locomotion that they're studying because it's just like such a precise synchronization of muscle movement that can squeeze snakes through small spaces. And it's apparently very complicated and very hard to mimic. Mm. But snake brains are just like, you know, I got this. I'm going to move in a straight line and then their muscles do all do all the rest. <laughs> right. that's, that's the nice thing about being a snake is you don't have to, or anything, like you can throw me a ball and I'm not going to do the calculus to figure out when it's going to get to my hand. I'll just hold my hand up. Because you're an athlete. Because <laughs> I'm a sportsman. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So do snakes have to pick one? Can some snakes do multiple of these or? I think most snakes can switch between several of them. So one paper I was looking at 
I think was looking at garter snakes um, and it, they did lateral undulation. So like normal snake, concertina, locomotion and the rectilinear. And it just oh. depends on like what environment they need to navigate through and how much energy they're willing to expend. So it's not like you just pick one per snake. It looks like fun to do snake movement. I feel like that would be fun. It doesn't seem like one of the things that I think, I don't know, it it feels like this is part of what creeps me out about snakes is that it doesn't seem like it should work. It's like, how are you moving around so well? You don't have feet. How'd you get in a tree? How'd you get in a tree? You don't have hands. (laughs) I can't climb a tree and I got like four limbs. That part does look fun. The eating big stuff to me yeah, has always looked like no, no thanks. No, I would like just very, eat spaghetti if I was a snake. Very time consuming and unpleasant. Yeah. If you want to ask the Science Couch your question, follow us on Twitter at SciShow Tangents, where we'll tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. Or you can join the SciShow Tangents Patreon and uh, ask us on our Discord. Thanks to at Ophio134, Saida, and everybody else who asked us your questions for this episode. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's really easy to do that. You can help us out by going to patreon.com slash scishowtangents to become a patron and get access to things like our newsletter and our bonus episodes. One of the tiers that you can get is an in-episode shout-out, which I mentioned here because we have someone to shout out. Caitlin wants to dedicate her shout out to her boyfriend, Kenny. Happy almost anniversary to you both. Second, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That's super helpful. And it lets us know what you like about the show. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell Tell people people about about us. us. Thank you for joining us. I've been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who edits a lot of these episodes along with Hiroko Matsushima. Our social media organizer is Paolo Garcia Prieto. Our editor Editorial assistants are Debuki Chakravarti, Emma Dowster, and Alex Billow. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish, and we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you, and remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But... One more thing. It might seem like snakes are all tail, but that is not true. There is a section toward the end of a snake where their stomach ends and their tail begins. And that is where their cloaca or their waist vent is. (laughs) (laughs) What it says. And some snakes, like the Sonoran coral snake and the western hook-nosed snake, use their cloaca for self-defense. They push air out of the vent to make a popping sound that deters predators. So basically, their self-defense mechanism is farting. Just like my son. (laughs) Does he weaponize his farts? Uh, I mean, I don't think so, but he does fart on me and laugh. (laughs) <laughs> so I, it's, it's not like it's not true self-defense, but he is certainly enjoying it. Yeah. Well, no one's eating him, so it's working. <laughs> it's true. <laughs>